Hello everyone, it's Friday, August 11th, and this is Ray Renati with In the Green Room. In the Green Room is brought to you by Wave Radio. Wave Radio can be found all over the internet on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spreaker, oh my gosh, so many different platforms. Pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, we're there, even on Google Play. All right, let's get this show on the road. You green roomites, you green roomaholics, you green roomophiles, you green roomers. Today I want to talk about Sam Shepard. Sam Shepard, one of the greatest playwrights ever known in this country. Sam Shepard, what a, what a guy. We lost him on July 27th, 2017 to ALS. ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. If you don't know who Sam Shepard is, Sam Shepard... To most people, would be Chuck Yeager in The Right Stuff. Super popular movie. You probably saw it. He was the guy who played Chuck Yeager. But many of you may not know that Sam Shepard. Sam Shepard was one of the greatest playwrights ever known in the United States. Sam Shepard's plays were done all over this country. He had a 10-year residency at the Magic Theater in San Francisco, California. He made the Magic Theater what it is today. In fact, they'd never been <laughs> what they were when Sam Shepard was there. He launched the career, he helped launch the career of Ed Harris. Ed Harris, that burly man who's done so many great movies. They did the play Fool for Love. Fool for Love, they took that to New York. It was a huge hit. I have been privileged to direct a couple of Sam Shepard plays and act in one. I directed and acted in True West, and I directed Fool for Love. It's an amazing experience. I did many scenes from his plays while I was going to acting school at the Gene Shelton Acting School in San Francisco. Sam Shepard helped me to understand myself, to get out my rage, to understand also what great art is. I will sorely miss Sam Shepard. I feel like I knew him, although I never knew him. I felt like he was a brother, although I'm not related to him. I want to read. I want to read something to you. Sam Shepard was uh, a very good friend of the rocker Patty Smith. In fact, they were romantically involved for a while, and I think they might even have a child together. And she wrote an article in The New Yorker, and it's incredible, and I want to read at least some of it to you. So, here we go. This is the article by Patty Smith to the one and only Sam Shepard. He would call me late in the night from somewhere on the road, a ghost town in Texas, a rest stop near Pittsburgh or from Santa Fe, where he was parked in the desert listening to the coyotes howling. But most often he would call from his place in Kentucky on a cold, still night when one could hear the stars breathing. Just a late-night phone call out of a blue, as startling as canvas by Eve Klein, a blue to get lost in, a blue that might lead anywhere. I'd happily awake, stir up some Nescafe, and we'd talk about anything. About the emeralds of Cortez, or the white crosses in Flanders Fields. About our kids, our history of the Kentucky Derby. 
but mostly we talked about writers and their books, Latin writers, Rudy Wurlitzer, Nabokov, Bruno Schultz. Gogol was a Ukrainian, he once said, seemingly out of nowhere. Only not just any nowhere, but a sliver of a many-faceted nowhere that, when lifted in a certain light, became a somewhere. I'd pick up the thread and we'd improvise into dawn like two beat-up tenor saxophones exchanging riffs. He sent a message from the mountains of Bolivia where Mateo Gill was shooting Blackthorn. The air was thin up there in the Andes, but he'd navigated it fine, outlasting and surely outriding the younger fellows, saddling up no fewer than five different horses. He said that he would bring me back a, a serape, a black one with rust-colored stripes. He sang in those mountains by a bonfire, old songs written by broken men in love with their own vanishing nature. Wrapped in blankets, he slept under the under the stars, adrift on Magellanic clouds. Sam liked being on the move. He'd throw a fishing rod or an old acoustic guitar in the back seat of his truck, maybe take a dog, but for sure a notebook and a pen and a pile of books. He liked packing up and leaving just like that, going west. He liked getting a roll that would take him somewhere he really didn't want to be, but where he would wind up taking in its strangeness, lonely fodder for future work. In the winter of 2012, we met up in Dublin, where he received an honorary doctorate of letters from Trinity College. He was often embarrassed by accolades, but embraced this one, coming from the same institution where Samuel Beckett walked and studied. He loved Beckett, and a few pieces of writing in Beckett's own hand framed in the kitchen along with pictures of his kids. That day, we saw the typewriter of John Millington Singe and James Joyce's Spectacles. And in the night, we joined musicians at Sam's favorite local pub, the Cobblestone, on the other side of the river. As we playfully staggered across the bridge, he recited reams of Beckett off the top of his head. Sam promised me that one day he'd show me the landscape of the Southwest. Though well-traveled, had not seen much of our own country. But Sam was dealt a whole other hand, stricken with a debilitating affliction. He eventually stopped picking up and leaving. From then on, I, I visited him, and we read and talked, but mostly we worked. Laboring over his last manuscript, he courageously summoned a reservoir of mental stamina, facing each challenge that fate apportioned him. His hand, with a crescent moon tattooed between his thumb and forefinger, rested on the table before him. That tattoo was a souvenir from our younger days, mine a lightning bolt on the left knee. Going over a passage describing the western landscape, he suddenly looked up and said, I'm sorry I can't take you there. I just smiled, for somehow he had already done just that. Without a word, eyes closed, we tramped through the American desert that rolled out a carpet of many colors, saffron dust, then russet, even the color of green glass, golden greens, and then suddenly an almost inhuman blue. Blue sand, I said, 
filled with wonder, blew everything he said, and the songs we sang had a color of their own. We had our routine, awake, prepare for the day, have coffee, a little grub, set to work, writing, then a break, outside to sit in the Adirondack chairs and look at the land. We didn't have to talk then, and, and that is real friendship, never uncomfortable with silence, which in its welcome form is yet an extension of conversation. We knew each other for such a long time. Our ways could not be defined or dismissed with a few words describing a careless youth. We were friends, good or bad, we were just ourselves. The passing of time did nothing but strengthen that. Challenges escalated, but we kept going, and he finished his work on that manuscript. It was sitting on the table. Nothing was left unsaid. When I departed, Sam was reading Proust. Long, slow days passed. It was a Kentucky evening filled with the darting light of fireflies and the sound of the crickets and choruses of bullfrogs. Sam walked to his bed and lay down and went to sleep, a stoic, noble sleep, a sleep that led to an unwitnessed moment as love surrounded him and breathed the same air. The rain fell when he took his last breath quietly, just as he would have wished. Sam was a private man. I know something of such men. You have to let them dictate how things go, even to the end. The rain fell, obscuring tears. His children, Jesse, Walker, and Hannah, said goodbye to their father. His sisters, Roxanne and Sandy, said goodbye to their brother. I was far away, standing in the rain before the sleeping lion of Lucerne, a colossal, noble, stoic lion carved from the rock of a low cliff. The rain fell, obscuring tears. I knew that I would see Sam again somewhere in the landscape of a dream, but at that moment I imagined I was back in Kentucky, with the rolling fields and the creek that widens into a small river. I pictured Sam's books lining the shelves, his boots lined against the wall beneath the window where he would watch the horses grazing by the wooden fence. I pictured myself sitting at the kitchen table, reaching for that tattooed hand. A long time ago Sam sent me a letter, a long one, where he told me of a dream that he had hoped would never end. He dreams of horses. I told the lion. Fix it for him, will you? Have Big Red waiting for him, a true champion. He won't need a saddle. He won't need anything. I headed to the French border, a crescent moon rising in the black sky. I said goodbye to my buddy, calling to him in the dead of night. Wow. Wow. Well, I will have to say that I am moved at this moment. Moved to tears. What an ode. What an ode to a friend that that is. You know what's really, really cool about this is Patti Smith wrote this in the same style of writing that Sam Shepard was known for. She had to have done that on purpose and she did a great, great job of it. It doesn't even seem like a 
someone trying to copy Sam Shepard. It seems as though she's channeling him because this is how his, this is how he wrote, this is how he sounded. It's as if, it's as if Sam Shepard wrote it himself through her. You know, it's sad when our heroes disappear, but you know, they're in our hearts forever. As long as we're here, they're with us. And Sam will be with me forever. I never knew him, but I loved him. Well, that's it for today. And I will look forward to talking with you next week on In the Green Room. Until then, if you'd like to get a hold of me, just go to rayrenati.com. Go down to the bottom of the page and you can send me an email. I'm on Twitter at Ray Renati and uh, Facebook. I have a Facebook page, Ray Renati. You can find me there. But until then, I will, I will talk to you next week, next Friday, and on the Green Room. In the green room, not <laughs> on the green room, in the green room. Have a great one, everybody, and I will see you on the boards. <laughs> <laughs>